Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you have a true story about an experience with something strange, if you've seen Bigfoot, if you've seen a UFO, if you've seen a ghost, anything unusual or weird, if you've seen an entity wearing red plaid, if you've seen someone dressed in a bunny suit in a very strange situation outside of Easter, we want all your strange stories. You can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Tonight we're going to be talking with Paul, who is sharing some of his stories with us from possible Bigfoot encounters to a near-death experience. And some of my favorite are the stories he shares from Iraq. He's an ex-Marine, and he ran into what may have been these jinn entities in the mountains over there. Very interesting stories. We'll get to that interview in a minute. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our patrons... We could not do Strange Familiars without our patrons. They make the show happen. If you like what we do and you'd like to get more Strange Familiars, please consider becoming a patron at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. For just $3 a month, you can get extra shows. We do at least one full extra episode of Strange Familiars every month for our patrons. But there are other levels of support there as well. You can check them all out at Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription or recurring payment, 
You can check out the show notes at strangefamiliars.com, and you'll find a paypal.me link where you can make a one-time donation, and of course that helps a great deal as well. Another way you can help is to like and subscribe wherever you're listening, whether it's iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever, and leave us those nice, kind, five-star reviews. So Creature Feature Weekend was a big success for us. We had a lot of fun. I was really excited to find out how many people listen to Strange Familiars, including Corey Feldman's manager. Came up and said he was a Strange Familiars listener. So a shout out to Dave. Thanks for listening. It was kind of surreal. Suddenly, a lot of people were coming up and saying they're listeners, even met some patrons. So that was amazing. It's amazing to meet listeners. It's amazing to hear your stories. I got a few really good stories, some really good Bigfoot stories. They will be coming up on the podcast. So all around, it was just a great time. And I'm looking forward to going back to Creature Feature Weekend next year. Next up for me is the Harrisburg Comic and Pop Con. That is September 21st and 22nd, just a few weeks away. If you're in the area, stop by. I'll be signing and selling copies of my books, maybe doing some art commissions and more. That's the Harrisburg Comic and Pop Con. That's going to be at the Harrisburg Mall, 3501 Paxton Street in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can check out fourstatecon.com. That's F-O-U-R-S-T-A-T-E-C-O-N.com. So let's go ahead and get to our interview with Paul. Tonight we're talking with Paul, who has multiple experiences that started when he was a kid and continue on through today. Really excited to do this interview. How are you doing tonight, Paul? I'm doing great tonight. How are you? Good, good. Now, these started, you said, when you were pretty young, right? Yeah, they started around when I was seven was the first experience I had. Um, basically, I was a kid. Uh, I was around seven. I was in a swimming pool with some friends learning how to swim. I was playing, you know, pushing off against the wall with my buddies. And the next thing I know, one of my buddies pushed really hard away at the same time I did. And he couldn't swim. So he, he dragged me under. And at the same time as he was trying to get up for air, he kicked me in the stomach. All of my air came out of out of my lungs, mm. and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to I'm going to drown. And I had my eyes closed, and next thing I remember, I just just felt some some peacefulness, and my lungs filled full of air, and I was able to come back up, you know, and get myself out of the water. That was my first weird paranormal experience I ever had. So you were underwater and and actually felt your lungs kind of fill up with air. Yeah, like they actually, it, it felt like somebody put their, their mouth up against my mouth and just breathe, it just shoved a huge breath of air into my lungs. My lungs filled from capacity, wow. and I remember getting kicked, and the bubbles coming out of my mouth because I yelled when, I, when he had kicked me. And so, yeah, it was just the strangest thing that I ever experienced. So then, after that... There was just other weird things that had happened. Um, there was one time where I had gotten into a fight with my dad because I was scared. I, I was kind of a shy kid, and I was scared to go to the new school that I, I had been um, brought to to you know to start. And so the night prior, I had some type of dream where um, I didn't have lunch, and so I remembered the whole room that I was in and the people that were in it, except for. 
people didn't have faces, like their faces were like kind of clouded over, but I could see all their clothes, their shoes, the uniforms the kids had on, and the teacher's dress she had on. And I remember this clearly. She had this white dress with these really big blue roses on them. And so that was a pattern of dress she had on and, and with, you know, high, high stiletto heels she had on. And so back then, you know, that's how teachers dressed back in the 70s. And so I woke up the next morning and I went to school. And that day I didn't have lunch. And I remembered everything that happened in the dream where the student gave me her cold lunch and the teacher asked me, you know, what's going on? And the whole conversation was exactly what happened in the dream. So I was just like, that was just weird. So then just more things continue on after that. Basically, like prior to myself getting married, well, actually, I did get, I, I did get married. And this happened when I was my first year of marriage with my wife who passed away, unfortunately, about five years after we had gotten married. We ended up taking a little trip to uh, this place called Rubio Woods. It's right next to Bachelors Grove Cemetery, which is in Lothian, Illinois. And it's supposed to be the most haunted cemetery in the state of Illinois. And so it's, it's used to be filled with bachelors that died out in that area. And it's like tucked away, nestled into these woods. Well, we ended up going out there one Halloween day. And I actually saw an apparition appear out of the woods. and it just took me by surprise. I stood in front of the cemetery while my wife and my cousin were inside the cemetery. Basically, this thing, this white thing, which I thought it was somebody in a robe, floated out from uh, like some trees and shrubbery that didn't have vegetation on it. There were just, you know, branches and stuff. It just came out of there, walked about maybe 10, 15 feet in front of me. And right around the cemetery, there is a a moat, I guess you could say, or kind of like a uh, a creek. Mm-hmm. And the uh, apparition like floated. And I, I, for me first, I thought it was somebody walking. So let's say it, basically they walked in front of me and stopped right at the end of the road. And the, and the road would end where the creek is. And then it started walking away from me towards the other side of the embankment. And I kept staring at it because I kept thinking, I'm like, this can't be a person. This has got to be some type of animal. And then as it got farther away, I was like, well, maybe it's a deer. You know, it's the back of a deer. And that's what it kind of looked like. I'm like, wow, what what is this thing? As soon as it hit the embankment, it rose like out of the water, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I was just like, oh, this thing is floating. And then I looked at the bottom of it and there was no legs, no nothing. This thing commenced to go to the right and floated, went past a small little tree that was probably about um, maybe like two arm lengths, two arms put together at thickness and never came out the other side. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. So Mm. did it look like a hooded figure at first? Is is that... uh... Mm -hmm. When it came out? Or I mean, a robe figure. You didn't say hooded. It, well, actually, this is what I thought. And when I spoke to my wife about it, I was like, honey, I actually thought it was some like wick up, somebody, somebody like a, a witch in a white robe or somebody performing Satan worshiping in a white robe. I, I kind of thought that that's what it was. It was a person, but it wasn't. It was just something 
just a, a, a weird white rope thing floating in the air. That's basically what it was. Wow. Never saw what was, never never saw the facial part, just this white rope floating. That was it. Did you get any vibe or could you tell if it was male or female or, or was it just too rogue? No, to I, I, I couldn't I couldn't get a vibe if it was male or female. I just kind of figured it, it was just a person. I, I did get the feeling it was a person in a robe. That's mm-hmm. basically it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that must have been kind of intense. On, on Halloween during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was kind of overcast. It had just rained prior in the morning. I, and I told my wife, and Joey, I was like, hey, uh, being in the cemetery kind of reminds me of uh, Night of the Living Dead in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> so she, used to, she was like really scared. Her and I, before she passed away, we used to do a lot of like cool stuff like that. We took one of those uh, ghost tours, one, uh, our second year of marriage. It, it was really fun. But the reason I did all that was because these strange things had been happening to me. And so... After I had gone into the service and I served in the uh, in, in the military, and I served for her about eight years, and a lot of strange things happened to me in the, in the military. More, more to say, paranormal, and I also saw UFOs while I was overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan. So huh. we used to see those all the time. Oh, really? Um, the other, thing, yeah, oh yeah, you could see them. You could see them with the a night vision goggles, and we used to think they were drone our drones. But they weren't. They would just act so weird, and they would just do these weird maneuvers that you're. I'm like, man, if there's if there's a pilot flight in there, I don't know how you can take those G forces, or we got some really cool uh, equipment that we don't know of, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And the the weirder stuff was, uh, I was out on patrol. I belonged to a, a special unit. Um, I was a tracker. I'm half Native American, half Mexican. And so I learned my tracking, uh, my tracking stuff when I was a kid on the res with my grandparents or my grandfather, actually. And so when I went into the Marine Corps and they found out that I could do that, I basically was a tracker. They stuck me with a unit that we would track insurgents in the mountains and stuff. And so I was out on patrol with the guys and I got separated. I'm the radio operator. We got separated because there was um, bad weather. And so I ended up getting lost. <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> I got lost. My radio communications were down. I wasn't able to reach radio contact with the rest of the team, so I had no idea what was going on. So I ended up traveling during the night and, and resting during the day because it gets really hot during the day. I ended up in the village, and we usually get – the military provides us funds. And so basically, they're like gold little bars and stuff like that that we carry around with us that we can barter with. And so I was looking for a place to stay and I walked into a, um, a village. And since I speak a little Farsi, I was able to communicate. And since I'm darker skinned, <laughs> <laughs> they, they kind of act, they, they're kind of more curious. And so, uh, and I've always found that uh, they're very welcoming when, when you're different, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I ended up walking into town and I, I, there was a man that just came out of nowhere. And he, and I started speaking with him and I told him of course, you know, I was looking for someplace to stay. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, here, here, I'll, I'll show you where. And he leads me into this little shack. Well, I set up my equipment in the shack. I paid the man and he goes, yeah, yeah you stay here uh, during the evening and I'll bring you some stuff and whatnot. And he never did bring me anything. I paid him and he left. 
<laughs> and so I basically set myself up, rested for a couple hours, uh, mostly during the day. It stayed there. I had set up uh, my equipment so I can know if somebody would come in and uh, I wouldn't get hurt and I'd be able to defend myself. And I set up my bedroll, made sure there was no creepy crawlies on the floor. And I always would carry a little candle with me. And my dad had always told me, always carry a candle because a lot of, a lot of little creepy crawlies don't like the light. And so that's what I did. And so I set up this little light and I had this little light inside the, this little shack that had no windows. And so, you know, and I fell asleep. And so I woke up later in the, in the evening, you know, dusk. Got my equipment all situated, put away, put my pack on, made sure there was nothing left with my flashlight, walked on out. All of a sudden, this man comes up to me and starts, it was just white as a ghost, the, the weirdest look i ever seen. He's like, you, you, you there, you, you come out there? And I was like, yeah, I came out of there. Why? He's like, you, and then he's like holding me and like touching me and like, he couldn't believe that I, I I was real or something. And I was like, what's wrong? And he's like, you come, come, come here. I show, I show. And so I walk back. He flings open the door, basically. And on the floor was a den of scorpions. Oh. Whoever this person was that, that tried to get me in there, I don't know who it was. But I explained to the man, uh, I described him to the man. And he's like, they've never seen anybody like that in this town ever and they don't know anybody like that and so it could have been the surgeon or it could have been a lot of people were saying it was a gin hmm. i was like oh <laughs> i don't know about the gin but i could believe in somebody that that not wanted me to be alive yeah and so but while you were in there they didn't bother you nothing bothered you no because of because of the candle and because of what my father had told me to always do and so i was just like wow and then after that I walked out of the town, and as I walked out of town, um, I was out for like maybe about an hour walking and trying to get, uh, get to the next rally point so I could meet up with my unit. And I'm telling you, I kept seeing things up in the higher areas of the mountains moving around, and I actually thought it was like insurgents or the Taliban. And the strangest thing, I started hearing somebody walking behind me, and I would turn around and I wouldn't, I, I would. I would see somebody with my night vision goggles and I was just like, what, what is walking behind me? And I would see something duck to the side of the road and I would duck over to the side of the road too. And I was just like, what is going on? And then I would see it peep its head out behind like small little boulders or little crevices along the, along the side of a wall of the mountain. And basically I would have my night vision goggles on. I would see this thing. And so it got to a point where the castover that was in the sky had dispersed, and so the moonlight was was out. And so I took my uh, my my night vision goggles off, and as soon as I would take them off, that shadow would disappear. I couldn't see the shadow with my own eyes. Wow! And when I would put the night vision goggles back on, I would see the shadow. It was the weirdest thing. And then I would see shadows like that up in the mountain and moving around. And so I talked to one of our people that were our interpreters, one of our interpreters, basically. And he uh, had told me that those are gins. And I was just like, wow, that is just the weirdest thing. And so we've always seen things like that. So this happened directly after you left this building with the mm -hmm. scorpions. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. So put me in, in your boots there for a minute. Um, <laughs> you're lost, 
right? Mm -hmm. You're in, you know, unknown territory, right? There's potential for bad guys to be around, right? Yeah. And I, I'll tell you the truth, uh, no matter what a veteran ends up telling you, man, I was always scared. Any, any real veteran that's been in combat and things like that will tell you, I, I, I was always praying. Mm -hmm. And it was like fear of just the unknown too. That was the weirdest thing. My father had told me, he's like, son, when you go over there to overseas, you need to be careful because not only do you have to be careful of people that are alive, but also just that land is holy land. And a lot of wars and things like that have happened in that, in those countries. And he's like, you have to be careful, you know, spiritually also. And so my father was, was a spiritual man. And so I was like, yeah. And, and I tell you, they say there's never an atheist in a foxhole. And that's the <laughs> truth. <laughs> I found that true. And half, half of my Marines, either somebody was praying at something or to Valhalla, but somebody found God somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're, so if you like, so one of these things happens, like, let's say you just get lost. That has to put you on extra edge. I, I know you said you're, you're kind of always on edge. So mm. you're alone. You just come from this weird experience with the scorpions, which is just, mm -hmm. you know, if it's not maybe life threatening, maybe not, but still it's disconcerting. The whole thing must have just been weird, upsetting, you know, kind of off-putting kind of experience. You're walking alone at night. And then this other stuff is happening while you have to be worried about insurgents or whatever else, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's not only insurgents. You have criminal element too. You have robbers and stuff like that. And you're walking alone. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I'm just one guy. I don't, have, I don't have the whole platoon. So I'm dipping and covering and trying to, you know, be inconspicuous at the same time. So I'm, you know, I'm walking and I'm hiding. Sometimes I'll walk out in the usually, you know, near the mountain. So I, I, I don't give, you know, I'm not walking down the middle of the road, like, right. you know, bippity bopping. I'm ducking myself too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm on edge all the time and just seeing these things, it's just like, it's just the eeriest thing. You can hear things walking behind you and there is nobody back there. Wow. And it's, and it's dark. I mean, it's, it's like, if that's why I had the night vision goggles on, there's no lights out there. You know, and then you look up and it's cast over or the moon isn't out. It's like you can't see your hand in front of your face. That's how dark it is. Wow. So that, that even puts you on edge, you know? Yeah, and yeah I, can, just, I can imagine. Oh, that, yeah. Wow. That's a really cool story. It's cool for wow. me from here, I know. You know? <laughs> Maybe yeah. not so cool at the time. But uh, yeah. So, so obviously you made your way back. How long did yeah, it take? Yeah, I got back. Oh, it took me about about a day and a half. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I made it to the rally point and the guys were waiting for me. I was able to switch out the um the battery. Basically I didn't I had a battery and an extra one, but this one wasn't working. And when I met up with them, we also met up with another uh unit together. And so the other field radio operator was able to uh, loan me the other battery and I was able to get the communications back up and running. So that was the other thing that I found weird. All of my batteries, I keep charged and they have a long charge time. And so that's why I found it so weird yeah. that the batteries just died or one of them just died. And then the other one just like trickled down to like nothing where I couldn't even reach anybody. And I was like, wow, just eerie stuff like that would sometimes happen, mm -hmm. you know, and 
that always puts you on edge too, because it's just sometimes you always felt like something just didn't want you there, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Man, that's, so that's, that, that's an intense story. That's like I said, if I try to put myself in your boots, you know, at that time, it's, yeah. that's very intense. Yeah. You know, that was like my first mind opening thing of how just things are so real out there, you know? And, uh, you know, you hear all these paranormal, you know, stories of people, you know, seeing ghosts and things like that. And when it happens to you and when you see the stuff, you're just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're at war at the same time. I'm like, wow. You know, it just it shot back a lot of memories of people talking about, you know, strange things that happened to them in war. And I'm like, yeah, just just these things happen. And it's yeah. true. Yeah. You know? I bet a lot more than we ever hear about happens. Oh, tons, tons more, you know, and, and, you know, who knows, you know, what the government basically knows and that we don't know or doesn't want to tell us, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. My own personal opinion on that is they, I think it's comforting mm-hmm. for people to think that the government knows everything. I think they probably don't. I'm sure they know more than we do, but I think that mm-hmm. it's probably more they're interested in it. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure they're interested in all this stuff, but I, my gut, and this is just gut feeling, my gut feeling is they, they don't have all the answers, but uh, they'd like us to think they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and serving overseas, you know, they they, you know, they always play that stuff, especially military intelligence. Oh, yeah, we know what's going on. No, no, no. Staff Sergeant, it's going it, to, yeah, that's going to be right there. Yeah. Or that radio frequency, that's what you need. And then the damn thing don't work. <laughs> nobody's out of the radio frequency or it's it's not the weather's not going to be that, that great and it ends up free we almost froze our butts to death you know yeah. things like that yeah well i imagine in in that situation uh adaptability is a major thing yeah improvise adapt over tongue that's what they tell us marines to do <laughs> well, there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh those were some of the strange things that had happened to me in the military every time i would come back home from uh overseas duty and it always happened back, back in illinois strangest thing so um one night i came home with my uh, i came home and my wife and i were out on our up in our condominium on a on the roof in the evening and we we're swimming in the um in the pool that we had up there this one night you know i got out of the i got out of the pool and i was just resting she was still in the water swimming and it was like a really nice night a really mild evening and my condo actually faced the uh, wrigley field so now you know where i used to live <laughs> and so um you know the lights are really bright you know in the city but up in the, uh, I kind of was standing like in an area where there wasn't a lot of light. I could see the rest of the city, and I was looking out into Lake Michigan. And I swear to you, I saw this green light like streak across the sky, and then it like slowed down and kind of like hovered, and it was going from north to south. And it kind of hung over the harbor where we used to, um, or that was close to us. Then all of a sudden, it just shot straight east from there. I didn't see it after that. And so I was like, wow, that is just the strangest thing. And I told my wife, and she's like, oh, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of weird stuff like that. Now, granted, this was back uh, 97, I believe. Yeah, like around 97 when this happened. So it was many, many years ago. Did it just look like a, just a single light, just a green light? Mm-hmm. 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 Just a green light. And it wasn't like 
you know, like you see the satellites going across the sky mm-hmm. and, and they'll look like satellites normally look like a little star. Right. And, yeah. and then they just move. But this thing had a little contrail behind it, a little green light contrail behind it. And I was like, well, that ain't it. That's not a satellite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they yeah. don't, satellites don't tend to change directions either. No, they don't. They don't tend to slow down and then change directions and then just speed out. And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. Yeah. The second time something like that happened to me was after uh, my wife had passed. And it was like maybe about, eh, I believe, later in the 2000s. And she passed away in 1997. And so later in the 2000s, and I was over visiting my sister. And I was out with my little nephew. He was probably around eight years old. And we had walked out, and it was a cold winter, a cool winter night. And I all of a sudden just stopped right by the car. We were going to go to the store, the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I would say it was about nine o'clock at night. And I looked up at the stars and I go, hey. And I, you know, I, I said his name and I go, look, look up there. Look, there's a light up there traveling. And he's like, yeah, Paul, I see it. I see it. All of a sudden, that, that bright little light, and this one was white, got really bright. And like winked out of existence. And my nephew was like, what was that? I was like, I think that was a UFO. (laughs) It was the straight thing. Yeah. And he was just like, wow, I see my first UFO. And I was like, yep, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, they're up there. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel really bad with the people that, uh, you know, on both sides, they get ridiculed about talking about these UFOs and stuff. People don't believe them. But the other part is, when they talk about like uh, the men in black and things like that. And I remember, I remember this, my gunner Sorensen, he had served in a different branch of the military before he started serving with me um, in the mil- in the Marine Corps. We had talked about that and he served, he, he served in the air force. And so uh, Sorensen had told me he, he was on base one day and he was doing guard duty. And he said, yeah, I'll tell you this, there was a helicopter that landed. They came to the office where the, where the commander was, and we have to ask her ID. And I asked the gentleman in, in the dark suit because he landed in a, in a black black hawk. And I go, well, what do, you, what do you say? He goes, son, I can't give you my ID. And if I did, you would end up going to jail or something like that. And he's like, yeah, I, I let him in. <laughs> I was like, okay. I think I would too, man, if he's like, Fred, and yeah, that, that you'd disappear. Yeah. And so that was my first story of like the men in black before I even knew anything about men in black or any of that stuff. He was the first one that told about that. And that was one of the stories that we were talking about in boot camp, actually. And so, yeah. So there, there, you know, there's so many things that happen out there. And like I was uh, to get back to the point I was trying to make, like, you know, when people do talk about their experiences, which I still think UFOs are paranormal also you know they fall in that genre too and just seeing how you know that's always been my 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 fear too of saying anything about my stories is because of you know just having somebody doing that you know that that's always been a fear but i said you know what i'm getting up in age i might as well tell the stories now before it's too late and have people enjoy you know what experiences i experienced yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, you know, it's, it's great for me because I run the show, you know, but I also think that it's great for 
in a kind of a folkloric sense that we're documenting all these stories because I just believe like what we called folklore in the past was the same stuff. It was just people seeing, you know, what we're calling UFOs and cryptids and ghosts today, you know, they were calling fairies and, and uh, you know, whatever wild men or whatever and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Back then. And uh, so it's, it's great to get these stories documented. I, you know, I can't write a book every week. If I could, I would. And I, you know, I document the stuff in a book, but uh, next, oh, yeah. best, next best thing is talking to people and then getting it documented. And then the other thing is it kind of makes a safe space. So more people will come out then and say, oh, yeah, that happened to me, you know, and they'll, and they'll start talking. And we get to, for me, it's amazing because even like the strangest stuff people talk about, someone else will usually write email and say, yeah, I experienced that. And then it's just like, okay, now this is something really weird now, you know, now that two people, you know, from two different parts of the country or different parts of the world are talking about very, very similar, but very, very weird things. It makes it all the more interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, like for myself growing up in the two cultures in uh, my Apache culture, because uh, I'm a Lee Pan Apache from uh, Texas and then my father was, and I am, and my grandfather and the rest of my dad's side of the family. And then my mom is Mexican. And so, you know, I grew up with, I don't want to say them, but I'm just going to say the other thing, just like uh, dogmen or shapeshifters, mm-hmm. stories like that, to warn us about those. Um, I've had some of my cousins see them. I've never actually seen them, and I'm happy I never, I never saw them because that, right. that's really scary. I hear the stories on some of the other oh, there's another guy on YouTube. Um, he's an African-American guy and he does these dogman stories and just the stories he gets from people. I'm just like, wow, it is some scary stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm happy I haven't dealt with them because they sound like they're very aggressive creatures, whatever they are. Yeah. My, uh, you know, I take a ton of Bigfoot reports and every, you know, so the, the dogman reports come with it when oh, I get they? them, my, not all the time, but you know, often people, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll, often I'll get them and I just, my heart kind of sinks a little bit. Cause it's like, man, like it's bad enough if you have to run into a Bigfoot, but one of those things, like, <laughs> it's just nothing I'd, I'd want to have to run into, you know? Oh um, yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you. So there's a couple other stories. So let me, let me back up again to when I was like seven or eight, this happened. Oh, this also happened to me back in Illinois. And so we were out shopping and and I remember this clearly, it was like November and I believe we were shopping for like, I think it was like after Thanksgiving because we were out late and I was out with my older uncles and aunts. And so we were driving, heading down Lakeshore Drive, heading south. And so we were right by this park called Olive Park and it's right along the lake. It's right across the street from the University of Northwestern. And the lake in that section ends right at Olive Park. Right next to Olive Park is Navy Pier. So we're just, you know, moving along in, our, in, in this big old Monte Carlo. I'm sitting in the back, and I'm looking out the window. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not the Monte Carlo. We were in a station wagon. And so I was sitting in the back of the station wagon. I was looking out the window because I was sitting next, to the, uh, sitting next to the door. And I couldn't believe it. I was watching these two things swim in the water and they were they were going really quick as as fast as the car was going and they were skimming the top of the water and i was like looking at it and i'm like is this people swimming it was the strangest thing 
And as they were swimming, all of a sudden I saw them go from the uh, skimming the top of the water. They like dove. And then the next thing, they both jumped out as a pair into the air. And, and they did it so quick that they just like jumped and went back in. They did it like three times. And then they just like disappeared. And I didn't see after that because by the time, the third time when they went back in, we kind of hit the curve, uh, kind of started going uh, towards the curve that kind of, the expressway has changed so much, but there was a curve that used to go around these buildings back in the day. And we hit that curve to go around the buildings. And so I didn't see them after that, but it was the weirdest things. And I, I was just like, what was that? And I had like, was nudging my uncle who was next to me, who's a couple years older than me. And I was like, look, look outside. And he saw him too. And he's like, what, what is that? I was like, I don't know. He's like, maybe some fish. I'm like, they're pretty big to be a fish. They look like dolphins or something. He's like, yeah, that that's just weird. And then after that, no, nobody wanted to talk about it or anything. <laughs> so <laughs> it's until we got home to my grandparents and my grand my grandmother, and this was my my mom's side of the family. She's like, oh, because I was scared. She's like, oh my god, get and she's talking to Spanish, and she's like, get get the boy some sugar because he's like really scared, and you know to calm me down. And then she blessed me with an egg. So some uh, Santeria stuff she did on me because <laughs> he thought it was like something paranormal. I actually thought it was some type of, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It's some type of creature, some type of water creature or something. Did they look like dolphins when they came out of the water? They were white. This is what I remember. They were white, long, and they kind of resembled dolphins, but... They were just really like it's hard to explain. It was just they were really like narrower of a fish, you know. They kind of were stocky up in front, and they narrowed down to like a kind of like a little point at the end, and then that was it. And then that's all I saw. And it, you know, with the, with the way the car was going and how fast they were traveling, and with it being nighttime, you know, you could, if they had fins, they probably had fins, but. You know, they were probably thin or something, but I didn't see any any uh, dorsal fin. Mm-hmm. That was it. But that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I don't believe Lake Michigan has dolphins, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, with all these, you know, theories that are coming out with the ocean. And, I, and I've been on the ocean. And I've seen, you know, uh, I've been on the Enterprise and I've been on the John F. Kennedy. And so um, the ocean is, is vast and, and we don't know nothing about it. So right. there's a lot of weird stuff out there too, you know? Oh yeah. After that time as a kid, the next, the next time I've had something else, cause this is all coming back to me was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. I was a uh, junior counselor at this camp there in Wisconsin. And that's where I don't know if this was a dog man or not. But there was something stalking the camp this one year I was there. And so I remember I was with a bunch of guys and I was work, I was a junior counselor at the time. And I was up on, it was me and like two other guys. We had just went up to the, to the top hill where the boys cabins are. And we were mowing the lawn in this big lawn area that they have where they do games and other physical activities with, with the boys. And we had just finished mowing that and we we're riding the mower down the hill and we were going slow and I had stopped for something. I think somebody dropped something. And so I stopped and one of the guys got off, went to go get some and, he, and I'm just facing forward, waiting for him to get back on. 
because we had a little like dump thing behind there, behind the tr- uh, the the lawnmower, like a little uh, what do you call it? a little wagon and stuff that would, that would come with the with the lawnmower, mm-hmm. so we could take our tools and stuff up. So they were sitting in there with the tools. This one guy gets out, and he and he and he goes and, and he's getting the thing he dropped. And he comes back booking, and I hear him running really fast. And I turn around, and I go, "What's wrong?" He's like, "Go, go, go!" There's something in the woods, and this was daytime. And I was like, "What? Really? Yeah, there is." And I turned around, and I saw a tall—I don't know if it was a person or a tall thing—but it ducked behind one of the bigger trees off to the left of me. And I started up the lawnmower, and I kept going, and I—I I, I basically took, put it on, on neutral, and I kind of. Let the steepness take us faster. This thing, whatever it was, was running right next to us in the woods. Oh, wow. And I was like, what the frack? What is that? And they're like, I don't know. We end up getting down to the base of the hill. This thing kept up with us up, I would say, maybe about 30 feet before we got to the bottom of the hill. It stopped. And I heard it stop because it, like, the way it stopped, you heard all the leaves and, and whatever it was running on just, like, you know, like so many stops in dirt. That's what it sounded like. And I was like, wow, this thing was keeping up with us and going through all those trees. I don't know what that was. We get down to the bottom of the hill and I tell the maintenance, uh, the main guy, what had happened. And they're like, what? And they went back up there. And we went with them to show them wh- what area it was. And we saw the area where this, whatever it was, if it was a human being or if it was whatever it was, we saw the stop marks that it made the streak marks for stopping. And they were like, what? And they actually ended up calling the sheriffs because we weren't the only ones that seen it. Other people throughout the the week had saw something in the woods in the daytime and heard it in the nighttime. Hmm. And so I had called my dad because I was like really scared at that time. I thought it was like a serial killer or somebody stalking or something like that. My dad was a government worker. And then my uncle was a police officer in Chicago. So he called my uncle. My uncle ended up doing a favor for my dad and called the uh, sheriff's department down there. And the, actually the sheriff's and the city police investigated. And they said that there was something out there. We don't know what it is, if it's an animal or what, but we'll keep an eye on it. Okay, that's cool and dandy. And so that kind of calmed me down. The director of the camp took brought me into the office and said, Paul, don't worry about it. Your dad already made a big fuss about it. <laughs> And I called your dad, uh, and I told your dad that the sheriff came to see me, and so did the city police. And it was Williams Bay, Wisconsin, where this happened. And so it was the Williams Bay Police Department and the Sheriff's Department for that area. Um, They both came, and that's what they did. So two days later, I was coming back to, to the cabin and to my cabin that I was responsible for. And so my guy or my counselor, the older one, was there. And he goes, hey, and I don't remember the the, the other uh, junior counselor's name, but he goes, hey, so-and-so wants you to go stay with him because his, his counselor is going to be back till later. And so it'd be better if you two stay together with the kids. And we were like, okay, that's fine. Cool. Uh, no, no problem. So that's what we did. I set up my, my little mattress next to his bed and stuff like that. And, you know, we kind of started, you know, went to bed and we got the kids to sleep and I would say about an hour afterwards, we're still awake. It's probably about 1030, maybe. Yeah, about 1030. All of a sudden, we start hearing something walking 
from the entrance and you could hear stuff. The windows were open and they, but they had screens. And so we heard somebody walking. And so they're coming down the road and it's a gravel road. They're walking towards the cabins. All of a sudden you hear the gravel, you hear this thing just, or person or whatever, just stop. And just, and we're waiting and he was scared. That's why he wanted me to stay there with him because he had heard all the stuff that was going on. He, he was really scared. And so I was like, I was like, what is that? And I'm laying next to him on the floor and I'm like, what is that? He's like, I don't know. Is that your counselor? He's like, it's 1030. He ain't going to be back till about 1130. And he's on his day off. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's just not right. And he's like, I'm like, let's just l- listen and see what happens. We hear it go towards my cabin, whoever it was. They walked over there and they kind of, you could hear them like kind of rustling by, by the, the cabin. And we were both scared. I was too scared to look out the window. <laughs> I lay there and we just kept listening. This, this, whatever it was, turn, we heard it turn because of the gravel. It started walking towards us. And he's like, he got up. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to hold the door. Cause we didn't have locks on the doors on those cabins. Oh, wow. He's like, I'm going to go by the door and let's just wait there. And if this, whatever, whoever it is, whatever it is, if it tries to get in, we'll hold the door down. And I go, okay, well, I'll grab a broom and uh, have this broom right here. And we're like 15 and 15 and 16, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, what are we going to do? If this is a, a, a serial killers or, or a real person, you know, we're just these small, you know, young guys. I was scared. I was sweating. And I, I, I have never felt any fear like that. So this thing walks towards the cabin, stops right at the steps of the cabin. And we're like, please go, please go. And we're, we're just like praying. And we're both saying to real, oh, just go, just go. And all of a sudden, you hear something just step onto the step. Then hmm. the next thing, step onto the next step. Then the screen door opens up. And this thing rushes the door and starts like clawing at the door and starts pulling the door. It had so much strength that it took both of us with our feet up against the frame of the door to hold the door in. Finally, the knob broke. And whatever this thing was, when the knob ended up going his, its way, Mm-hmm. It like fell out of the porch area, broke the door, and all of a sudden you just heard it run in, on four legs towards the uh, woods. Oh wow! And the kids were screaming. We woke up the whole camp, and then the sheriffs came. They investigated and they said yes, there was somebody, so on and so forth. And we never knew what happened if they found the person or not. Yeah, that's creepy stuff. So, so that was creepy. And then, and then after that, it happened. A lot of weird things had happened. I got more stories for, for that, for, for this camp. And so after that, it happened. It was just like, we never knew, like I said, we never knew what happened. We never knew if they found somebody or if it was a person or what. And then I find out later, you know, in my years that they were talking about a dog man that was out in that area. So. Oh, wow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So then after that, that had happened. About two years later at the camp, two summers later, we were out hanging out at the, uh, they call it the L-I-T-C-I-T lounge. And so this was a junior counselor's lounge. And this was going to be my last year as as uh, I believe I was an instructor at the time for the younger ones now. And so we were there. And so one of the younger kids, <laughs> one of the younger uh, junior counselors, brings a Ouija board to play at the camp. And so I walked in with, with my little girlfriend. We had uh, just come back from uh, getting ice cream or something in town. And we rolled up just to check on them, and it was always time for them to go to bed at 11 o'clock. I would say this is about 10.45 or something. We stroll in, and we, we walk in because it's all dark, and then you see a couple little lights on. We're like, hey, we better go see what they're doing. It's not, not playing, you know, spin the bottle or something, you know? So the, she and I go in there, and they're playing with this Ouija board. And we're like, uh, I'm like, guys, you shouldn't be playing with that type of stuff out here. And they're like, no, no, it's all right. It's just a game, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. And I knew a lot about, about that stuff. And it was just bad juju. My parents used to tell me that it's just bad stuff. Don't be playing with that. Sure enough, they're asking it like really stupid questions. And I'm like, okay, if you guys are playing, two people got to play with it together, uh, you know, on the, on the planjet and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, you know about that? I was like, yeah. So they ask it. Um, we don't believe you have powers. If you have powers, make the lights go off. and those things, those flashlights dimmed out. There's three of them. They dimmed out. They flickered on and off three times. And me and the girlfriend looked at each other. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's not cool to do. And so all of a sudden after that, they then started, and we stayed there for a little bit and watched what they were doing. Cause when I saw that, I was like, that's weird. I wonder, I wonder if it'll do anything else. And she's like, yeah, let's watch. So then they asked, they asked it, hey, um, who's going to die next? Ooh. And so it started, yeah. And so they start, it started spelling out a name, and it spelled out this little, uh, this little kid's name. I don't want to say his name. And so they spelled out this kid's name that was sitting there at the table. And his sister was sitting next to him. And it spelled out his name, and she freaked. And she's like, I'm done. I'm not playing this game. I, I don't want to have nothing to do with this game. And so she left. And so a lot of other people started leaving. And so that little boy still stayed because he was interested. And one of the other persons that left was the other person that was putting his hand on the planjet. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll come play with you guys. So my, me being stupid, trying to show off in front of the girlfriend, I walk over there and sit down and I start playing this game with them. They asked it some other question that it didn't like it all of a sudden it said no and next thing you know was the i got shocked 
thrown back against the wall. All I remember is seeing this planned jet and the Ouija board shoot up into the air and both start spinning right above each other. As soon as I saw that, I was I was like the second person out of that friggin' uh, cabin. Mm. And I just ran. And I was just in fear. And all night, all I did was pray. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, I'll never touch it again. I'll never deal with that Ouija board again. <laughs> that stuff was weird. And I'm going to tell you, you want to know how true that stuff is? The little boy died the next year in Indiana. He drowned to death. Oh, wow. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, that's the, I mean, I, I say in general, you know, a lot of people will contact me and they say, you know, I've had spirit contact in one form or another. Mm-hmm. I was warning them, don't ever trust them because uh, you, sometimes the information you get is going to be right. And a lot of times they'll start giving you right information to kind of, I don't know if it's intentionally to seduce you, but that seems like uh, that feels like part of it. And then they'll start lying, mm-hmm. you know, or giving you wrong information. And then- yes. And then you're all messed up, you know what I mean? So I always tell people, it's like, just be careful with these, these messages from beyond. Like, just don't trust them. Don't take them as gospel because they often turn out to be, you know, either not true not or you, slightly true. Not what you think it was. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what it is because you can't see it. You just don't know yeah. what, what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And it might be, you know, I, you know, I have a friend who does it, you know, kind of frequently by that, by it, I mean, spirit contact, not Ouija board. And he says like, he just thinks they're, they're either incompetent and they're, they're trying to give you an answer and they don't know, or they think it might be true. And they're telling you what they think is true. And it just ends up being wrong. And I said, well, that's fine. But the end result's still the same. The end result is you still can't trust it. You know? Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of weird stuff that, that is just, you know, with, with that type of thing. And, you know, for myself, there are so many things that we don't know that are out there, you know, and I got all the books from Ed and Lorraine Warren mm-hmm. on audio. I love that. Ed was, was another, another salty, uh, uh, veteran and he was, he was a great guy from just watching the videos. I was, I was like, oh yeah, he's a Navy guy. <laughs> <laughs> and his wife was, you know, a really nice lady and everything. And I've never met him. I wish I would have been able to met him. And, and I, I'm so saddened to hear, it's just heard that, that she had passed away recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a big loss for that, you know. And some of the stuff is hyped up about things that happen with them and some of the things aren't. But the, the, the main point Ed used to always say about the paranormal, you don't know anything about this stuff. And these things are dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, and you have a brush with them. Yeah, keep it as a brush and that's yeah. it. Don't get overzealous about trying to figure out what it is because you'll never know what it is. They certainly can be dangerous. And you know, the thing about, you know, I, I never want my future told, you know, people all, you know, a lot of times, they, you know, you want me to tell your future? No, I don't because whether it's true or false or not, I don't want anything like that to get in the back of my head and influence me. You know, like with the story you told with that kid, maybe it was perfectly natural. Or maybe that little information just like was a seed, you know, that got in the back of his head. And in a way he, you know, not to blame him for his own death, but well, you know what I well, mean. No, no. And, and the way he passed away from what I understood, he, um, he was out trying to save one of his friends because I think the friend got caught in an undertow. Mm. And he was swimming at the same time. Um, I believe a lifeguard went to go swim. The lifeguard actually didn't notice that he was in the water oh, with wow. him. 
alongside wow. of him, and the lifeguard actually kicked him in the head and knocked him out. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's tragic. I mean, it's tragic no matter how yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's just tragic. But, you know, you wonder if, if he never heard that information, you know, would things have gone any differently? And that, that's what I'm always yeah. like when people want to, yeah. like, you, you know, you want me to tell your future? Nope, I do not. I don't want to hear it because yeah. uh, I, it's, it's not information I need to know. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, eerie. And, and for myself, yeah, I did have my future told, but not by a human being. <laughs> and this is still, still part of the stuff that I, I, I we're going to go into some more. And so I think you, should, you can do a whole show about me half the time <laughs> or half it up. Yeah. So there's so many stuff that had happened and everything's like coming back to me for all the little stuff. So you got to bear with me. I might jump around. For myself, I ended up uh, getting injured in, a- in Afghanistan. And I almost had my arm severed off by a piece of shrapnel, a large piece of shrapnel. And Mm. so uh, I've got a lot of shrapnel inside me and stuff like that. And so because of that, a lot of the shrapnel is still coming out of my body. Well, I ended up getting this this thing called the lipoma that grows around the shrapnel to protect the body. And so this thing was on my back. And my little sister, who's only 10 years younger than I am, she had told me, hey, you're starting to look like Quasimodo sitting on your back. And she had walked into the bathroom when I had gotten out of the shower. I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you got a big old lump on your back. I'm like, what? She goes, did you get hit or something? I was like, no. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I never even noticed that. My girlfriend didn't even tell me that. My, my wife had passed at this point. Mm-hmm. She had gone up to heaven. Anyways, I ended up going to the doctor and the doctor told me it, it was that. And he's like, well, well, we'll remove it. And I was like, okay, that's, that's great. And so I got all prepped for surgery a couple of weeks later and, and went into surgery and they set me all up and they anesthetized me, you know? And so I've been under the knife a couple times before that. And I don't know if you have been, but every time I've gone under the knife, it's always like, it's just black. And I've asked a lot of people that, is it just black for you? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's black. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you just hear everybody around you. You can't see when you wake up from the anesthesia, but you just hear everybody. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. That's how it happens. She's like, and the person, the couple of people I talked to, yeah, yeah, that's how it happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they, they gave me the anesthesia. I, I, I passed out and I ended up waking up in a white place. I don't know what it was, but it was just like a white, white, whiteness room. And for me, first, it was a white room. And I was like, what? Where am I? You know? And I'm like, this is a weird place. And I'm floating at the same time. So I could see myself. I could see myself in my clothing. Uh, I didn't have any shoes on. I was barefooted. And I'm just floating in this huge white room. And then I, I was like staring into the white void. And I could start seeing like little patterns of mountains and stuff. And then I hear the most beautiful music. And to this day, I cannot find this music anywhere. It was the most soothing, peaceful music I've ever heard in my life. I've even tried to look for stuff on YouTube for angelic music, things like that. Nothing. So I'm floating there, turning around, looking. And just just at this, the most peacefulness I've ever felt. All of a sudden, I hear somebody behind me go, so how do you like it? 
<laughs> and I'm oh, like, wow. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? Just like, oh, nonchalant. How do you like it up here? And we'll just say, how do you like it here? And I was like, I turned around, I looked, and all I saw was there was something there. I couldn't make out a, a figure or anything, but I just knew there was something there in that white light that was just radiating an energy. And I was like, well, yeah, I, you know, it's nice. I, I, I like it a lot up here. It's really peaceful. Can I stay? Well, Paul, no, you can't. <laughs> I was hmm. like, okay. And I'm like, why can't I? Because I, you've got something to do for me back, back on Earth. And I asked him, what do I got to do? He's like, it's something very, very important that you need to do. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go. I want to stay. <laughs> He's like, you cannot stay. Everything's been planned out for you. And just trust me. And you need to go back. And I just gave this big sigh. And all of a sudden, it was like a, a loud like bang. And I was back in my body. And the nurse was waking me up. And so I'm back in my body. It's dark, like what you normally see when you, you know, when you wake up from anesthesia. And I hear her, hey, Paul, it's time to wake up. Wake up, Paul. I'm like, I don't want to wake up. No, you got to wake up, hon. You got to wake up. I just want to go back to the light. And she's like, no, don't go back to the light. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, I just started laughing and my throat was like all itchy because of the, the trach that was in my throat. I I was like trying to laugh and choke. She's like, calm down. I'm like, I'm just kidding. She's like, oh my God, Paul, you scared me there. Don't, don't say that type of stuff. And then she, she commences to tell me, you know, what's going to happen, so on and so forth. And so that's how I got something told to me or my future told to me by something. Do you think that was, I mean, it sounds like so many near-death experiences. Do you think that's what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds like so many other but ones. I come to find out, after I recovered and I got back up, the doctor came in and said, hey, my mom was there with me. And she was like, she, they were telling my mom and then me, you know, we, everything's okay, everything's good, but we kind of had a little hiccup. Uh, the anesthesiologist had a problem with the anesthesia. And we gave Paul a little too much. He might still be groggy. We're going to keep him here for another couple of hours and then we'll send him home. And I was like, that dude killed me. Yeah. That geologist killed me. <laughs> That's what he yeah. did. Wow. I was like, wow. And so, yeah, that, that was a near death experience for me. So I, I had a hernia surgery and they mm-hmm. put me under and I woke up in the middle of it. Uh, I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. I only, I just felt pain. I just felt a lot of pain and I started groaning cause I couldn't speak. I was trying to tell them like, I'm awake. I'm awake. I couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. All I could do was groan hurt like heck. And then uh, they must've realized it pretty quickly and, you know, turned on the anesthesia and knocked me out again. I went for my follow-up to the, to the, you know, the surgeon, you know, however many weeks mm-hmm. later or whatever. And I said, yeah. uh, Hey, just so you know, I woke up in the middle of that surgery. And he said, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to sue you. You know, this isn't like that. I'm just informing you this, like maybe you can make a note in my records or something, you know, for the next time they can keep an eye on that because it wasn't pleasant. And he said, no, that's impossible. You didn't do it. And I, I looked at him, I said, yeah, I did. Your nurse was talking about her vacation and he got his face turned so pale and he Uh looked at me 
and just change the subject immediately. Immediately look down and change the subject. You know, I totally woke up in the middle. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think anesthesia, too little, too much. You know, I'm sure that it happens, you know. Oh, yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. What ended up coming about that, uh, from that, from that um, foretelling of my future, mm-hmm. was that the surgery happened in 2010. I went back to work after that and so on and so forth. Two years ago, my little sister was murdered. And so now I'm a, I'm a proud dad of three little girls. And so that was my important job that he set me back for. Oh, wow. So, so you're raising your sister's children. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's, wow. Yes, that's an important job. That's, that's, how I knew, that's how I knew. Whatever it was, if it was this... The our great grandfather, God, you know, the yeah. big man up there, whatever, whatever you want to call it, whatever being it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember there's an anime that I watch, and I watch it with with the girls called um, Tanya the Terrible. And in there, the guy the guy ends up dying, and and God or the the big being, he doesn't want to call him God, so he calls him X. And so whatever it was, even even if it was X or entity X, whatever entity it was, it it, it had something in you, mm-hmm. you know. And that's where, and I'll tell you, ever since then, that entity or whatever has been with me, and it's been doing everything to make sure that I ensure that these girls stay safe. I've gotten nothing but uh, good things that have happened to me with the girls. That's amazing. So certainly, the your sister's murder is awful. It's horrible, but yeah. uh, the rest of it's, it's you know kind of a, ends up being a really beautiful story. Uh, yeah. Do, do you have more comfort when it comes to you know death because of this experience? As all the experiences of like from the time that I ended up getting my first air breath of air, which I, I, I still, I still equate to my guardian angel, I guess you could say somebody mm-hmm. was watching out for me, or it could have been BNX, whatever, uh, trying to make sure I stay alive because I got something important. That's where finally that in 2010, after that happened, I realized everything has been for a reason. And if I keep on the straight and narrow, I'm going to be okay when I pass away. Mm-hmm. and so and that's that's all we got to do we just got to do what good we need to do take care of our family take care of ourselves don't get all bent out of shape and, and start living the high life because that's not that's not what it's that's not what life is about and it, it, it's basically told me life is about something else right right and death for me is like i don't fear it you know I don't welcome it. I don't want to die. <laughs> right, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if I do, I'm going to take care of myself and make sure that, that when I do go, it's somewhere where I end up going in my sleep or it just happens quick. But I'm going to make sure I take care of myself and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm prepared for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happily. I know that just doing what it wants me to do or whatever, what both of them, which is my, my sister and whatever this being is wants me to do is, is make sure that these girls grow up and they become, you know, good people in this world. And I, I fulfilled my, my real mission, I guess you could say. Right on. And so 
that comes to the one that happened two weeks ago, the paranormal thing. So the girls and I were sitting in our, in our living room and they're little, they're, they're not even teenagers yet. And so they've got little phones and we're, I don't have TV in my house. <laughs> I took the TV away. There's no TV in our house. And so all they have is their little, their little phones and they're playing games. I think they were playing like Minecraft and stuff like that. And they're sitting over on my, on the, um, love seat. I'm sitting on the other side of the living room in my recliner and I'm playing a video game too. And we're just having family, a family night together. And that's what we do. We watch movies on our phones and critique the movies or we play video games. And so that's what we're doing. All of a sudden, I see, as I'm looking at my phone, I could see out of, out of the corner of my eye towards the kitchen, my older niece that comes towards me. And she walks right past me. And I'm looking at the phone and kind of looking at her off at the side. And she stops right in front of me and then moves over to the left side and just stands there. And I'm like, hey, just hold on. Let me finish uh, doing this. And then I finished what I was doing on the phone. I turn around and there was nobody standing there. Hmm. And then it dawned up. It was my sister. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Checking in on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. She was. She looked exactly like my my older niece. Had on the same type of clothes my older niece had on, except for instead of having a Coca Cola shirt on, she had a black shirt on that kind of looked like that Coca Cola shirt she has, but with the numbers eighty eight written on it. And I was like, I, I just, it was just weird. And I go and I look over and I, and I call out to my older niece and she's like, what? And I see her, I see her with the other girls. It, it, it was dark. It, the light wasn't on. It was, it was just pitch black in the house. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your sister actually having a shirt with 88 on it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, never seen a shirt like that with her, with the number 88. She just had on some, some ensemble that, resembles what what my older niece just got from my mom the right. the, the week prior my mom came out from the city out to visit us out west where we live does the and number so, eight have any significance that you i don't know yeah i don't know i i i'm still trying to figure it out so who knows what it is yeah, no, it's really interesting because I, I look, you know, I tend to look at these things like look at them on the surface level and then like dig a little bit, you know, what I mean, like can, could the eighty-eight mean anything, you know? But uh, no, that's really really interesting. So Tim, I ended up in Wisconsin uh, near the Shawamigan National Forest. I was doing some classes at a college, and so in the summertime, I got uh, involved with the company um, that restores historical places. I, I just don't want to say the name of the, uh, of the place and so, or, or the company, but that's what they do. And so I was on site for this restoration of this 300 acre uh, area. And it's inside the national, uh, the Suwamigan national forest, this, this property. And it was donated to a college. And so while I was there, we got to sleep outside in tents or whatever you want to do throughout, throughout the week. And I had a whole bunch of things happen to me on the, in this property. So the first thing that happened to me was I was told that the place is haunted, right? And this was by some of the people in the town where this property is located. 
And so I was like, oh, really? And it was like, you know, through conversations at restaurants and things like that, because they, they knew we were up there working on this place and trying to rehab it or restore it. And they were very excited about it because it's, it's like a monument for them and stuff. And so, and a lot of stories that go along with that place for the people who owned it. There were wealthy paper barons that owned this property that was, don- this property was donated to this college. So I was up there one day. Uh, I had just gotten in on a Sunday because I would go home on the weekends. And so I came back on Sunday. I would leave on Friday, come back on Sunday. And Sunday, and Sunday evening, I get there like around six. I pull in, I got some beverages and food, and I walk into this area that used to be a milking facility for the owners of this place. It was like a little dairy area. They had cows in there. Back in the day, this was back in the 1930s, and then no longer had that. They turned it basically into a garage. And it's a really big place. And so I walk into the place because I saw somebody who was my buddy, Phil, walk past this window of one of the doors and walked into the, another section of the garage. And I was like, Oh, there, it fills in the, it fills in the freaking uh, place. I'm going to go in there and say hi to him and drop off this food and beer. And so I walk in with everything and I'm like, Hey, Phil, what's going on? This man. I, and uh, I didn't see him. And I'm like, Oh, maybe you walked into the other area. And so uh, there's bathrooms on the other side of the building. I was like, oh, maybe he was going in to go take a shower or do something. I'll wait for him to come back, and I'll just put these groceries away. So I'm putting the groceries away. I got my back turned away from the area where he walked towards. And I start putting in stuff, and I'm almost done. I'm just loading up all the beverages onto the door. And, and I hear somebody from behind him, and it sounds just like Bill. Hey, what's up? I go, hey, what's up, Phil? What's going on? And I turn around. And I got a beer for you. And there was nobody behind me. Hmm. And I got the coldest chill I ever had in my entire life of anything. Nothing else that I've seen paranormal has given me a chill like that, that place did. And so I end up telling it, well, you can help yourself to the beverages and the food. Um, more power to you. I'll see you later. And I <laughs> grabbed myself and I walked out of the building. <laughs> that was just like the weirdest thing that ever happened to me there. And then I walked up to the, to the other section in the uh, property where I knew everybody would be at. And I told, I, I go, I was, I was actually looking for my buddy Phil. And he was in there up there. And I go, Phil, were you downstairs? And he's like, no, man, I've been up here for the past hour. Well, I just saw something down there. And they're like, you did? <laughs> we're like, man, we were waiting for somebody to see it because so-and-so saw something here. And so, and then all these stories started coming out of people seeing stuff around in the woods and in the buildings during the day and night. So that was the paranormal stuff that happened to me. So then about, Two weeks later, and they got bears up there like there's no tomorrow. So there was a bear that was up there, and we shoot it away. And so it was a young bear. And and finally, um, one of the uh, sheriffs came by and did something to it. And I think it, it, I think they shot at it or something with like uh, I don't know if it was pepper stuff or like those bean bags, but they scared it away. And I knew as soon as they hit it with a bean bag, it ain't coming back. Right. So they did that, and uh, that night that happened with the bear, I went to sleep. Everybody else 
was sleeping in tents. I ended up making up my, my vehicle, which was one of those Nissan truck, a little SUV things. I turned that into my, into my tent. And so I was laying in the vehicle and it was about three o'clock in the morning. I had woken up because it had gotten really hot in the vehicle. I opened up the door. It had just rained. It was still cast over. It wasn't raining. Just cast over. I couldn't see anything in front of me. All of a sudden, I'm laying there, and I got my eyes closed, and I'm just feeling the nice breeze come in. I hear something walking on the grass towards me, and it's coming from the wood area, a wooded area that's past this little, like, pasture. And I hear it, you know, walking bipedally, not, not like in all fours. And you could tell when something walks on all fours and something walks bipedal. Mm-hmm. And whatever this thing was walking on two legs. This thing was getting closer and closer to me. And I'm like, okay, that's not a bear. I don't know what this thing is. And I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anything that was eyes that are red. Because I've seen some videos where people see that type of stuff. But there wasn't enough light. So I don't, I, I don't know. I didn't see anything. So all I did was, okay, well, I'm closing the door. I closed the door and I hit the lock button. And I just turned over away from the direction it was coming from, turned to the other side. And this thing, whatever it was, walking by Peterly, came up to the vehicle and just stood there and then planted its whole body over the the side of the vehicle like it was looking into my window. As it did that, it actually pushed the truck about a couple of inches over because of its weight. It moved the truck or, or it leaned on it and it, the truck kind of came down? It, 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 yeah, it leaned on it and because of its weight, it pushed the truck. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, is this the bear? Or what the heck is this thing? And it just stood there. And then I heard like its forehead. Not a snout, because usually you could hear something like sniffing. The bear sniffed like a dog. And you could hear it. And it's, and it's loud. And I've heard it before. And it wasn't that. All I heard was like a forehead hit the side of the window. Like press up against the window. And I was like, whatever this thing is, it's looking into the vehicle. And it stood there for a few minutes. Uh, I would say like I, I counted. I counted up to like. I think 30. So it was a couple of seconds. So then this thing slid around like it was still looking through the windows to the back. And like I heard it again, put its its head, its forehead up against the back window and was like looking in. And all I did was I threw my cover over my head. I was like, please make it go away. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know what it is. Please just go. And then it used all its weight. It pushed up against the car, which pushed the car forward a couple of inches. And I heard it walk away towards the camp where everybody else was sleeping. And I just lay there and I go, well, good luck, everybody. I'm going to sleep. (laughs) And I fell asleep. (laughs) And that was was the weirdest thing that happened to me out there in the Salamagan National Forest. Wow. So did did you look for tracks or anything, you know, the next morning? Well, it rained later the next morning. So when I fell asleep, it rained again. I woke up to it raining. Mm. 
And I just laid there and I was like, did that just happen? What, what was that last night? And so it stopped raining. It was kind of drizzling. I got out of the vehicle. So the floor was wet. And so there was no tracks except for the vehicle underneath. I looked underneath and the pushing motion of the side motion of the tracks left mm-hmm. was right by the, le- the driver's side back wheel. It didn't wash away from the rain. So I knew something, something was there, but that's all I saw. Wow. Again, easy for me to say from here, I don't know if I could, I, I would want to look and then I wouldn't want to look too. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I've, I've always been into Bigfoot stuff because of, of my dad. My dad really talked a lot about it. And in our culture, they say that Bigfoots are actually uh, medicine men that go out into the woods to educate themselves. And this is what they turn into kind of like shape-shifting or something like that. Oh, wow. You know, and then they come back to us, to our people, you know, in, in knowing about nature, about about life and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And when you see these people of the forest, that's what they are, medicine men. Oh, that's really, okay. really interesting. That looking or trying to look at stuff like that, I've seen like other videos where people have caught like these weird eyes. And that's what I've always been afraid of seeing also. Um, yeah. I yeah. never want to see that stuff. And it's just eerie how these people catch this stuff. I always pull the shades down at night. It's just something I do. I don't like the idea of uh, something outside being able to see better than I can see out, you know, mm-hmm. so if I have lights on inside, you know, I, I pull the shades and I was talking to someone. She was from uh, the Lakotas and she said, mm-hmm that it's absolutely part of their culture as soon as it as soon as the sun goes down to pull the shades you you close all the windows mm-hmm. you don't want things looking in at you i said well i agree 100 percent." and that's what i do yeah. that's what i do also we we've been told to always you know cover cover stuff and don't look out and mm-hmm. and i try to teach all that and everybody's like why do you do that there's nothing out there i'm like you don't know what's out there yeah. I mean, even if it's just people, why give them a, a view? The other thing is I found really interesting is when you talk about uh, the Bigfoot as medicine men, mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard me talk about it on the podcast before, but Merlin had a turn as a wild man. He went off to the woods and it was after a great battle that he felt uh, he saw a lot of young men get killed and he felt very responsible for it and kind of had this mm-hmm. period where, where they said he was, went crazy but he went off and then they referred to him in this period as a wild man. And he uh, went off to the woods and learned how to, you know, speak to the animals and, and so forth. And, you know, kind of really commune with nature at this point in his life. So it's, it's very interesting to me that, you know, you have this, this Celtic legend of Merlin as a wild man. And then uh, you're, you're saying your people are saying that, you know, Sasquatch wild men uh, were medicine men. Very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And everything's connected. I mean, if if you look at the at the history of people and even the native people, and you look at buildings and things they've done, all of it's similar to from from the North Americas all the way down to South America, just in the building construction. So, mm-hmm. um, just just hearing these these fables that they call them, but they're not fables. It's the truth. These things yeah. do exist. Well, these I- people, these things that are people. But a different, I believe, there's something different about them physically, 
psychologically and they just want to be left alone. They don't want to have nothing to do with us warring folks, you know, and they've, and there's so many, there's so much stories of them warring with us because they don't want to have nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, I think these stories survive because they teach lessons. That's the case with most folklore. I do a lot of traditional folk songs and stuff. And there's a, you know, saying there's two sayings that go along with it. One is that a bad folk song doesn't get to become traditional. And the other is, there's always some you know nugget of truth in every in every folk song in every traditional song and uh you know these stories if you look at the other folklore even take you know not looking at bigfoot look at other folklore often they're teaching lessons they're teaching you what plants are poisonous which plants might be you know helpful for healing and and this and that so there's a reason why these you know these wild man stories have survived as well and i think they were they were teaching us about them for sure and they're remarkably similar across different cultures. I mean, there's, there's some that change. There's some, you know, some people will say it's this or it's that, but there's a lot of similarity across cultures. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. There is. And then some of the stories, you know, that I hear that are on uh, those book, audio books, uh, stores and stuff like that. And I've, I've listened to some of them, like this guy, uh, Rusty Wilson, I believe his name is. And I hear of some of his stories and, I don't know where he gets them from. And it could be from people that tell him, you know, these stories because it seems like that. And when I look up some of the areas that he talks about or where he, or where some of these stories go to, they connect to a lot of places where there are these, these uh, wild beings mm-hmm. living in, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, these stories have to be true. These, they, these things are happening to, to these people. And it's just, it is, and it's just so bad that people get ridiculed about them or people make fun of them like that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, the other, the other thing, like the children around where we live with my culture and, and we also believe in the shapeshifters and things like that. And they're dangerous. I've heard a lot of the other people describe that some of the people that, that say like the Wendigo, which you shouldn't mention the name, but I mentioned it, um, that Sometimes the people confuse that they think it's a Wendigo when it's actually a Bigfoot and that there's different types of Bigfoots mm-hmm. also. I've heard that, that they're ones that are really nonchalant to ones that are way dangerous and will kill you to the real big ones, the ones that are like taller than nine, eight feet or nine feet tall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like when I'm out here with the children and any of the children that are around the neighborhood, I tell them, we live in the small community. Outside of that community, there's stuff like that out there that you don't know of, you know, and you need to be careful. You need to to be out of the park by dusk and home with your folks. And a lot of the kids out here are like Lutheran and uh, Mormon and things like that. And I'm like, well. If you look at your Bible, they, they, there's wild men in there, and I'm telling you, <laughs> you need to watch out. We're we're in a land that's like that. We're 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 in a Western free land that these things still roam in. Yeah, you know, yeah. and well, I mean, it's the same thing with the like the newspaper articles I collect. Yeah, some of them are exaggerated, and some of them get a little silly. But when it comes down to the behavior that they're talking about, it's the same behavior people are describing today. The way these things behave, it's exactly the same. And, and often, if you these old now some of these old newspaper articles, there's stuff happening in places that are you know it's just been built up since then. You know, there there was nothing there before, and now it's a you know metropolis. 
some of them, you know, that, that are out in the wilds are the places that are still wild. You, is that exactly like you said, there's, we're still getting reports from these same places. Yeah. And, and w- when we uh, drove up to um, Yellowstone, I told the girls there are Bigfoots out here and they're like, really, and, and when they saw how big the, just the park is, mm-hmm. they're like, Oh yeah, uncle Paul, there, there is weird. There is probably that stuff up here. I'm like, yeah, I know there is. We saw a moose. You saw a moose out there, and they're like, "Yeah." Well, <laughs> I'm like, "If you see a moose, I- I'm telling you, you're gonna see you're gonna see weird things out there in 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 that area." And then when we stayed up there, we were talking with some of the people in that area in the camping area, and they were also telling us about the Yellowstone Lake. That like a lot of weird things happen up there to people. That people disappear from these fogs and strange sounds that they hear up there and i was like really they're like oh yeah you need to be careful with your girls when you're up here you stay together so on and so forth and i go i already know that but i never knew anything about no weird uh, sounds and they're like yeah if you go online you just people have captured these weird sounds and when i did that after i had come back from the uh, park and i checked it out on the internet at our hotel and i was like wow that is just weird people disappearing in these strange fogs that happened in, in Yellowstone. I was like, wow. Yeah, that's weird. So, yeah. And so it's just, it's just amazing how things like this happen out here. And it, for, for me, this is still the wild frontier for mm-hmm. things because these places out here, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, they're, they're uncharted lands. People might own the properties, these huge chunks of properties, but nobody goes on these properties. They don't know what's out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So having experienced multiple things through your life and some people say like, oh, you know, you're, you're so lucky to, or, you know, it's rare to experience one of these things, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I talk to a lot, a lot of repeat witnesses who experienced not just the same thing more than once, but a variety of things uh, like you've described. And then some people go their entire life and don't experience anything or I actually think they probably do and they're, they're not acknowledging it, but let's say they don't. What do you think the reason that is? Do you think you were somehow maybe like activated, you know, in a sense when you were young, when you, when you, when you had that air blowing into your lungs that was uh, made you I, sensitive? I, I, I believe so. I believe from that point is when all the strange things started happening to me. Mm-hmm. Where, where I, I don't know if it was the breath that did that to me, I do know now for myself, it's just started being strange to me when I would catch these things because also, I don't know how it is, but I catch the things and I realize, hey, this is something strange or paranormal that's going on. That was way before I even knew anything about paranormal stuff at a young age. Just right. knowing this is right. There's, there's something weird about this. You know, that right there told me uh, now that I'm older, I'm like, Something happened to me back then. It could have been in the breath. It could have been something else. But as time progressed and I realized that, I started opening myself more and more. Well, not opening myself. I took the blinders off my head, off my off my eyes. And now I see things. And, mm-hmm. I, and I open to seeing those things. And that's what happens with most people. Most people walk around with those blinders. They don't yeah. want to see it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's, that's absolutely true. That's I think... I think people have more experiences than they realize and they just, they shut down mm-hmm. that for whatever reason, they're either not ready or 
just they explain it away in in such a way you know that they can just kind of write it off but uh, it's it's really interesting because you hear people who see ufos say well once you've seen one you'll see in other ones you hear people who said once you see a Bigfoot, you'll know how to look for him. That's how they explain it. Like the the uh, the guys that you know that think they're flesh and blood, they'll say, "Well, now you know how to look for him." It's like, is it that, or is it something else? Like you know, more like what we're talking about. Like where once you're kind of open to the stuff, then you start uh, experiencing it more. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I, but I, I think I think it's once you get the blinders taken off, the world actually opens up to you. Mm-hmm. Started when I was younger, but realizing that I grew up in the city, I wasn't aware of other things paranormal other things that we call paranormal that are probably part of the world i believe that the governments like our governments protect us because of our psychological minds i actually think that and i and i think like with religion and stuff like that that's protect our minds because uh people that don't experience that type of stuff you know will go crazy some people will 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 you know, get so deathly afraid. Their their minds aren't ready for those type of things. It's definitely a foundation shaker. It shakes things it up for you. Yeah. And I I think that the governments realize that, and they said, "Mel, if we have a mass a mass amount of people seeing UFOs or a mass a city that sees Bigfoot, you know, these people are going to freak out. You mm-hmm. know, and it really we can't do anything about it. And so we got to come up with a way to you know stifle it and keep them stupid, mm-hmm. keep people uh, uh, un- unopen. Because once they open it up, once you realize that there's more to this world than we, than we actually realize, then you end up becoming more attuned to everything around you. I agree. And then you start realizing, yeah, you start realizing, I, I don't need, I can live a free life just like these things are living a free life. Because think about it, those beings living out there in the wilderness, they hunt, they're hunter-gatherers, they do, and they live a free existence a free peacefulness you know yeah they were uh, they probably have to war because if they're if they're tribal because that's what a lot of people think they are they're tribal and and that's how we were and then they still keep that type of society yeah they war but the majority of the time they roam free and they do their thing and and they don't bother anybody and that free existence is what we all strive to do with religion and everything else and like i said once the blinders are off boom everything's open to you and that's how it's happened to me with that first experience to the one in 2010 it just opened me to there's more to life than this rat race nine to five thing there's things that are out there that i still want to investigate and i still want to look for and i still want to see except for bigfoot's eyes <laughs> <laughs> right on that, that'll be a little scary i i could deal with them in the daytime but Seen that in nighttime, they, they would freak anybody out. Again, easy for me to say from here. I think I can deal with getting a good view of one at a safe distance outside. I don't know if I'm going up close and personal, but uh, you know, at a safe distance outside, I think I could deal with that. Looking over and having one just looking in the window, that, no, I can't. That's I would. I don't know if I could handle that one. That's just <laughs> that's, something that's about that. That's. Yeah. And, and, you know, even with aliens, aliens, just just weird stuff like that, like watching that movie Communion from a long time ago, you know, with Christopher Walken. I I, I love Christopher Walken's movies. <laughs> so I watched Communion and just seeing the aliens come out. I mean, even that is scary. Yeah. 
And then some of the videos that you see, and you see them creeping through windows and looking, peering through windows, just like a Bigfoot would do. I'm like, man, I don't want to have nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that has been most of my paranormal stuff that I can remember. Well, thanks, Paul. Thanks for sharing your stories. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. And if I get more stories, as the, as the year goes by and you still have your podcast, I'll come back and uh, tell you some more that has happened. Yeah, definitely. Keep us updated. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Before we go, I want to thank Peter S. for his generous PayPal donation. Thank you very much. And remind everybody, you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. Go to StoneBreath.BandCamp.com for more. We're on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Strange Familiars, where you can find the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. And we are on Instagram, at Strange Familiars.
book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.